Hi, sisters, and welcome to another episode of E-Girls. We're your hosts. I'm Emma. And I'm Eleanor. So we have a very exciting topic this week, but every week is exciting recording with you. I'll just say. (laughs) But this week we're talking about true crime culture and true crime media and how our own relationships with it has evolved over the years. Um, So yeah, I guess we'll just start at the beginning. What was your introduction to true crime? When I think about true crime, I'm immediately think to like listening to podcasts like Serial when I was in college, but I know I was obsessed beforehand and it was like late night Googling of like crazy crimes and murders and things like that that had happened. And I don't know what initially like created like a fascination at the time. Mm -hmm with those things but I think it was because it was so far removed from like the reality I was in at the time Mm -hmm. like in school it was like almost like an escapism yeah but the wikipedia rabbit hole yeah what about you yeah so it's kind of weird and I was thinking about this especially recently because there's a new show on Netflix the John Wayne Gacy tapes Mm -hmm. Um, this podcast is sponsored by Netflix (laughs) If you want to pay us, yeah, just so you guys know, don't forget. I know you're struggling right now, so we're going to help you out. And we're going to give you a free shout out. Mm-hmm. But so they have the John Gay, John, John Wayne. Wayne Gacy. Goodness. Yes. And they had the Ted Bundy tapes, which I think we both watched. Which I, yeah, I like was at the time I was really into that. Yeah, I like ate that shit up. And now John Wayne Gacy tapes, I'm like scared to watch it, which we'll get more into that later, but. Yeah, just thinking about John Wayne Gacy, I distinctly remember being probably seven or eight years old, being with my family in a blockbuster video, and we walk by the horror section and we see some movie that's like based on John Wayne Gacy, you know, like Killer Clown. Mm -hmm. And my dad was like, guess what, kids? So he told us about John Wayne Gacy because Mm -hmm. John Wayne Gacy was killing teenage boys in cook county illinois like a northern suburb of chicago that was one town over from my dad's town where he grew up Mm -hmm. and it was at the same time period as when my dad was like a teenage boy so i think my family was just like fascinated by that and we just i don't know and after that he was just kind of like the boogeyman of my childhood like my brothers would you know, shove me in the closet and be like, Gacy's in there. Gacy's going to get you, you know, just messing with each other. That was just a name that we used, mm-hmm. um, which oh, yeah. is very weird. So like, while you say that, I'm like my, the first time I heard about that was actually from my dad. Cause he was saying like the same age, he didn't live in Illinois, but like the same age of like kid that would have been, mm-hmm murdered by Gacy at the time which is just wild like weird and creepy and disturbing um but I also was thinking this was before true crime but when I was in elementary school I like became fascinated with like scary stories and Mm -hmm. ghost stories and I don't know this just came to mind but I'm like that could have been like that initial fascination with like scary may have played a role in like you know the scary story to true time pipeline you yeah, know as a child because sure. like by like eighth grade that's when I was starting to like really learn and research all this stuff yeah when you say scary stories in elementary school that just reminded me of the girl with the ribbon tied around her neck 
You know wait, that story? I feel like I did. But wait, can you give me a little more? So it's like the green ribbon or the black ribbon tied around her neck and then at the end they untie it and her head falls off i'm just was wondering that why scary stories we... to tell in the dark i think so but oh we definitely God. read that in school i read scary stories to tell in the... like i would take the like i had it they had it in the library and yeah. i would take it home I guess and that's... read it by myself in mm-hmm. my house like i loved those scary stories yeah. it was like my favorite and i do remember like I'm just going to tell one of the stories was um, this kid who, or no, this was a a man who um, he had a dog and every morning when he woke up, like the dog would like lick his hand. You know what I'm talking about? And then I don't remember what happened, but he like heard a noise and he like woke up, but then like he felt the dog licking his hand. So he was like, oh, I'm just going to go back to sleep. And then he woke up and like the dog had been murdered and like in the dog's like um uh blood. blood they'd written something on the wall. Do you remember what it was? It was, it was like, like humans can lick. Yeah, humans too. can lick too. Oh my god. That shit was so scary. And <laughs> that for was what? literally I like like I was obsessed. So yeah. like I like think back and I'm like, wait, I've always been like this. It wasn't like a yeah. like a oh, I just started in like high, early high school, middle school. Like it's yeah. I've always been fascinated with like you know, you know, scary topics. Would you have considered yourself not a paranoid child? That feels like a strong term, but like I was terrified that there was something under the bed and that story certainly didn't help. You know, I always was scared that there was something under the bed. I was scared of something in the closet. And I think a lot of kids are like that, but I do wonder if there is, you know, a neurotic child to true crime pipeline as well. See, I don't think, I think I was like, I feel like I was, like, almost too, like, not concerned. Like, I, like, didn't really, like, think about those things the majority of the time. Even, like, it's, like, like, in college, they'd get always get on to me about, like, not locking the door. Like, things like (laughs) But we lived in Boone. It was a very chill area. (laughs) Number one thing they say in every documentary. No one in this town locked their door. Well, I mean, even in college, like, we would just leave the door open. Like, on nice ah. days, we'd literally, like, leave the door open. No, but, like, we'd be hanging out. It wasn't okay, like yeah. We were, like, it's in daylight. Off in our rooms. Out. At night, I would, like, pretty well lock the door. But, like, during, like, going from class to class, like, yeah. when it was, like, a random day, we wouldn't always lock the door to our apartment because it was, like, someone's coming. In. There was five of us. So yeah. someone was always coming and going. Yeah. We didn't live in a city. Yeah. That's fair. Everyone, like, I, the people below, like, I knew everyone that lived in my, like, area, and there was, like, 15 of us in the yeah. total, like, so it was, like, I guess I, I'm a little too. Yeah. But I now, guess. Yeah. Now, like, I'm more cautious from where I live now in Nashville, like, in the city, but I feel like I am, like, I don't, I do sometimes in bed, I'm, like, like, I'm like, oh, God. Like, because my room in my house doesn't have a lock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It literally, that's what scares me. I'm, like. I'm like, yeah, they can maybe get in my house, but they can't get in my room because I lock it every night. In my house in my house in Nashville. Okay, no one listening to this, you don't know that this is real. Like, but like, yeah, my house is my my room to my house is have a lot. Yeah, that scares me. But you have a top grade security system. Oh, I do have a dog. Scare anyone away. True, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, so you don't even need to worry. I just like made myself paranoid when I'm like, I'm not a paranoid person. Humans do look too, though, don't forget. (laughs) 
But yeah, so Gacy was just like a figure in my childhood. But the more I think about it, I was just a neurotic child. And then my mom was obsessive with locking the door, being careful. And I remember in probably like sixth or seventh grade, she told me about Ted Bundy because she was saying, well, you know, some people will really try to take advantage of you. There was this guy, Ted Bundy, who would wear casts and he would use crutches and he would lure women into his car and i was like okay that's the scariest fucking thing i've ever heard in my life thanks mom (laughs) so now it's like to this day and i don't even think he did it all in parking garages but i associate parking garages with that still Mm -hmm. which parking garages are just scary in general but i'm especially paranoid in parking garages like i'll have my keys ready Knuckle. Like, have them, like, Keys. held so you can just, like, stab them. Yeah. Do you, have you ever done, like, self-defense classes? No, I should. One time my mom made me do it. Yeah. And it was, like, nice, but I was just, like, not in the mood. Yeah. But, yeah, there was something, and then I'm sure once I heard about Ted Bundy, it was like, okay, well, let me look him up and read every single thing I can find about him. So I would say I was pretty interested in serial killers which i mm. think is a pretty typical introduction to oh, true yeah, crime where sure. it's like oh well this serial killer leads to this one leads to this one leads to this one you know you just read about all of them and it's and, like yeah ted bundy's like the iconic one yeah he's because he was like people think he was attractive mm-hmm. yeah i think he's the epitome of you know yeah. the scary you don't know that they're yeah, a bad could, person there's anyone. no way you would know there it could be anyone yeah which i think the most famous book written about him is the stranger beside me so it's that idea where yeah he worked at a rape hot rape crisis hotline oh i didn't know that with this woman who was a former cop i want to say and they were friends they went out they hung out and then she finds out that he's you know one of the worst serial killers of all time That's and so, so she wrote this book but yeah, so it is disturbing because it's like, would I be duped by Ted Bundy? Mm-hmm. Would I get into Ted Bundy's car? Like, I want to say no, but it's like, and I feel like that's what like all of this has like trained us to be like, no, yeah, we're not getting in that car. Mm-hmm. We're not pulling over at night when it's like we're in the middle of nowhere, like, or we have a friend like stay with us, don't go home alone, mm-hmm. like all those things. What's so crazy to think about though is like. Of course that wouldn't cross women's minds back in, or men's, like, depending on the killer. Mm -hmm. In the 70s, 80s, I guess by the 90s, like, you know, there's a more public consciousness of serial killers. But in the 70s, that was like, you know, the heyday of serial killers, I guess, because they could just do whatever they want. I think the interstates, when were the interstates built? Bro, I have no idea. I want to say not until... I mean, it was definitely after World War II. Hey, I'll look it up. But I think something I read indicated that the development of the interstates is what helped serial killers, you know? 1956 was when the National Highway System began the first interstate, looks like. Okay, Mm -hmm. so it probably finished around the late 60s, 70s. And that's what enabled so many serial killers to go undetected, to travel from place to place. Mm-hmm. They didn't have DNA. They didn't have cameras. They didn't have anything. Yeah. And like at the time, states didn't communicate like information about killers or like crime, similar crime. So like a, a hypothetically, a killer could have like a spree in one 
like isolated location in a certain state, then immediately leave, go to another state. And then the states didn't communicate well. There wasn't a database. And I mean, obviously that has to do with technology too. Yeah. Like there wasn't like a national database where like, commu- where this like information was like communicated between each other. Even town to town. Yeah. Um. So yeah. And then throughout middle and high school, I would say every Friday night, because I didn't really have that many friends until maybe later high school. You know, most Friday nights I would watch Dateline with my mom. Uh The two hour ones. It's always two hours on Friday night. And then I think Saturday and Sunday nights, there's a one hour one. But I always preferred two. Because, you know, I like to get in depth. I like to be led one way and then have it end up being someone completely different. I love Keith Morrison's voice. I just love Dateline. I love everything about yeah, it. Yeah, and on the contrary, I was a 2020 girl. Yeah. Um, and I would watch that, like, I feel like most, yeah, maybe not always at Friday nights, but I always, like, DVR'd it. And along with that, I, like, that kind of made me want to be, like, an investigative journalist yeah. for a really long time. I was, like, that's going to be a investigative reporter, I guess. I wanted mm-hmm. to be, like, with the TV, but, like, I really, like, it made me want to do that. That's when I went into college being like, I want to be, like, on 2020. Yeah, I... (laughs) Basically. I went into college as a journalism major. Yeah. And I always said my dream job would be to be a fact checker on Mm. Dateline. Oh, yeah. Um, Which I'm like, I would still do that job. I still think that would be thrilling. Research girl. Research girl. (laughs) Yeah. And just the way that they're produced and everything that goes into those episodes, I just think is so interesting. It's, yeah, it's... It's entertainment. Yeah, it's entertainment. Which, you know, at the end of the day, that's what true crime is. It's entertainment. Yeah. But, I mean, much more to say about this. Yeah, much more levels. I guess moving into college is when we both got into podcasts. And it's really when the podcasts, like, emerged. Like, it just became much more of a commonplace, and I think that was with, like, Spotify basically taking over. Spotify and Apple Podcasts, like, basically everyone Mm -hmm. was using them. Yeah. You were no longer getting your, 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 like, music and things from other sources. Yeah. So the first podcast, I think, that really blew up was Serial. Yes. Um... Yeah, so that was just, like, everyone listened to Serial. Everyone was invested in it. And I feel like that's the first time I knew what a podcast even was, really. I think, yeah, I remember when I was driving home, the first trip home from, like, school, like, college, I, like, posted on Facebook being like, hey, do any podcast requests? And, like, half the people commented Serial. Listened to it basically the whole way home. It's, like, a six-hour drive. Mm. I didn't get the whole way through, but, like, by the time I got home, I was, like, up late that night just, like, listening to it, which mm-hmm. is so funny because there's, like, no visual, like, yeah. image attached to it. I was just sitting in bed, like, listening to this woman, like, tell the story because I was like, what's what's happened? What's yeah. happened? And, like, the cold case of Adnan, Adnan Saeed. And um, it's fascinating how yeah. he was potentially, like, wrongfully convicted. I think he was. There was a new development I haven't listened to the new development, so I can't say. Yeah, I'm not sure, but it was something in his favor. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, But yeah, the first podcast that I really got into, or I guess like, yeah, when I came into the true crime podcast world was with My Favorite Murder. Yes. And that was my junior year of college. So by that time, I believe My Favorite Murder started in 2016. 
So I had a like huge backlog of episodes that I could just like tear Mm -hmm. through, you know, like if I'm walking to class, it's in, if I'm eating lunch by myself, I'm listening to it, you know, doing my, or I guess probably not doing my homework, but (laughs) any other time I would just be listening to it. Like I always wanted to have something on and thinking about that. That's crazy that I just was like walking around Philly headphones in never at night. I never had my headphones in at night. I was Mm -hmm. very paranoid about that, but like, it's surprising to me that it didn't make me more paranoid. Paranoid, especially like, yeah, I like would always listen to it in the mornings, like the job, one of my college jobs, I would work like the mornings from like, I think like six to nine. So I'd get there super early, like no one was there. And I was basically like in charge of like, overseeing the workout facilities and so Mm -hmm. I would just like be cleaning and like vacuuming for like three hours listening to I listen to crime junkie mostly yeah um which is similar but like um a lot I felt like crime junkie was more serious yeah than like my favorite murder as in just like my favorite murder I feel like the hosts were more lively honestly yeah Ashley Flowers who hosts crime junkie is just very like kind of monotone I don't know why I was drawn to that but I think I just really like the stories that they chose Mm -hmm. I think they've always found a cool interesting story every time yeah I feel like my favorite murder was the blueprint for two hosts usually two women kind of like our podcast um (laughs) and it was kind of like groundbreaking at the time because even the name my favorite murder you know they were kind of shocking confronting this taboo that it's like why are we all lying like we enjoy reading and listening and watching this gruesome stuff like that's just how it is Mm -hmm. I enjoy listening to that you know and we'll get more into the psychology behind that but yeah I think it was groundbreaking for saying that for saying yeah my favorite murder what's your favorite murder to talk about this is my favorite murder to talk about Mm -hmm. so i think in the beginning it was more engaging yeah um which yeah i mean we can we'll again get more into it later but i think as time goes on when you've had a podcast for six years it's like you're gonna run out of content content even though there's always murders happening the content like with when there's like four or five big murder podcasts it's like they're gonna start repeating each other exactly yeah and that's where like i can't imagine any other true crime podcasts are Mm -hmm. gonna emerge at this point because you have to have some kind of new spin on it and there's just no way that you could i don't know and i thought about it like one of the big inspirations for making a podcast for me was listening to things like my favorite murder But I knew, like, okay, well, it can't be a murder podcast. You know, that's Mm -hmm. played out. But we can still talk about murder. Oh, yeah. (laughs) My favorite murder. Um, But, yeah, so I got really into my favorite murder. And then I feel like once I kind of listened to all of those, I started branching out to other ones. And, yeah, there's some repeat cases. Yeah. Some fresh ones. You know, I mean, it's it's really interesting. And... There's a lot of different, like, theories about why people are so drawn to these things. Mm-hmm. Now, I would say I don't really listen to that stuff, really. I don't – I'm not really – I sometimes will watch the occasional crime documentary. Like, I'll probably watch the John Wayne Gacy one, but, like, mm-hmm. I'm not as drawn to it. And I don't know if I've, like, just changed as a person or I am nervous and it makes me nervous and anxious. I just – yeah. 
The turning point for me was last year. Mm. So I was working from home, um, from my family home. Yeah. And I would be home alone all day because my dad would go to work and my brother would go to school. So I'm like alone in my house, um, listening and my work was pretty mindless. So I basically would listen to podcasts or audiobooks eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting in my house. I'm listening to this stuff hours and hours a day. And it got to the point where I realized, like, I was almost scared to walk out to the mailbox and get my mail. Like, yeah. that's how bad it had gotten where it's like, well, someone could just snatch me off the street right now. And I'm like, that is not a healthy way to live. It's not a healthy way to feel in your own house. Like you should feel safe and secure in your own house. You should be cautious always, of course, you know, it's not a bad thing to be aware of your surroundings, but if I'm scared to go to my mailbox, like I need to stop listening to that stuff. So that was like the breaking point for me. And I really haven't. Yeah. Like watched or listened to anything like it since. And so I saw the John Wayne Gacy thing and that would have been right up my alley Mm -hmm. a year ago. But now, you know, I'm scared to watch it. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Honestly, I don't remember exactly what happened to me, but I feel like um, I took a break from really listening to a lot of things for, like, a year or so. Yeah. And then when I came back, I think I was just more, like, wanting to have things that, like, not necessarily, like, uplifting is the word, Mm -hmm. but just, like, more, like, guilty pleasure type thing, as in, like, Oh, reality TV, things that, like, were more, less, made me think a little less about, like, dark things. Lighter, yeah. I just think, like, for my, like, mental health and stuff, I just needed, like, lighter things. Yeah. Um, And that, like, obviously made me, like, transition away from that. But I still, yeah, exactly. It's, like, I still have my guilty pleasures. It's just, like, um, a little less, like, dark. A lot more, a lot less dark, you know what I mean? And something else that I noticed... More so when I had already stepped back from listening to all these things. It's just thinking about, like, why was I listening to those things? Yeah. And just recognizing things in myself that I'm not proud of. Like, the fact that it's, like, oh, like, how gruesome is this murder? Oh, if it's not, like, interesting enough, then I'm (laughs) skipping this one, you know? It's, like... And it's just the fact of, like, just wanting it to be more and more and more extreme because mm-hmm. the more you listen to something, it just seems, like, you know, boring at some point, which is so sick. I'm it's thinking like about It's, like, desensitized yeah, to, like, yeah. the violence or, like, Completely. the violent words and topics. Yeah. And I feel like that can kind of, like, go into, like, the role of victims in true crime mm-hmm. and, like, how victim representation or if their victims are even, like, really considered or like given a name or identified because yeah. a lot of the time it turns into being about the crime yeah and like the horrific macabre like whatever you want to call it of the crime itself and like victims are often like overlooked and their perspectives or families perspectives because they are dead like you know yeah like and I just through. think about how would I feel if my loved one was murdered and then I see it you know being discussed on this podcast I think there are certain podcasts that are more active in like victim advocacy and like victims family advocacy like I know um Billy Jensen he did a podcast with Paul Holes who's mm-hmm. the main detective in the Golden State Killer case so they have a podcast together and that is very geared towards unsolved cases 
Um, and Billy Jensen, I read his book. He's solved a lot of unsolved mm-hmm. cases and he's a big advocate for like internet detectives, basically. Um, which, you know, sometimes people can be more hurtful to an investigation than helpful, but we're seeing more and more that like a lot of times police departments are incompetent or they just don't have the resources or prosecutors too. There's plenty of crooked prosecutors where Mm -hmm. it's like they just want a conviction. And so they're not looking at all the evidence. They're not considering everything and they're perfectly fine with like convicting someone who they know is probably innocent, which reminds me of something that happened a couple of weeks ago. So I was touring a law school and my tour guide is someone who is a third year at that law school and she is going to join the county prosecutor's office after graduating but Mm -hmm. she's currently like playing a role she's like a you know yeah under the main attorneys but she still gets to like sit in kind of an intern but like kind of an intern yeah but it's like she's she's working as a lawyer yeah as a prosecutor no um okay sorry (laughs) yeah the way that she said it was like she was sitting second on a oh. first degree murder trial. Gotcha. So I think there's one main prosecutor and then she's like second to them. So mm. she's, you know, basically a prosecutor. Mm. And the way that she talked about, so she said, we just secured a first degree murder conviction. It was so fun. It was thrilling. She said this to our tour group. She said it was thrilling. It was a blast actually that was the word she said Mm -hmm. it was a blast and that just kind of made my skin crawl because it's one of two scenarios one the person who was convicted is innocent or didn't do it two they did do it but the victim's family is there and it's like there's no closure there's no like celebrating for the victim's family like and in both scenarios someone is dead Someone was murdered. It was a blast, though. But and so for this, for this lady to be like, it was a blast. And then she was saying that she has another one coming up, and she's looking forward to it. To where it's like... I feel like, though, when you're in that role, though, you kind of have to, like, step up, take a step back to, in a way, though. Yeah. You know? Because it's like, how can you do that work? Oh, maybe, maybe for her it's like a game. But, like, I feel like for a lot of people you have to take a step back and, like, look at it more separate yourself from the actual case yeah and i mean it just really made me think because most of these true crime shows and podcasts and whatever like they interview prosecutors Mm -hmm. it's like when it's a solved case which again to be honest i'd be like oh it's unsolved next not good enough boring (laughs) listen to that boring which is (laughs) fucked up i know it's fucked up But with solved cases, especially like Dateline 2020, you know, they're interviewing the prosecutors and that's a big part of it. Mm -hmm. And so I used to like really admire prosecutors because when you're just seeing them in this lens as people who are putting away murderers, rapists, like criminals who deserve to be behind bars, you know, it's like they're heroes, Kind of. They're heroes to the victim's family. Oh, yeah, for sure. They're, like, portrayed as that way in a lot of cases. Yeah, and they It's harder, though. Yeah. Yeah, so Mm. it took me a while. It took me until I was in college to realize, like, 
prosecutors are basically cops, mm-hmm. you know? And so we see these highlights of prosecutors, but a lot of the time it's not like that. And they're not heroes and they're just, you know, and I don't mean to speak so generally. Like, of course there's good prosecutors, but a lot of it comes down to the DA. Yeah. And there are a lot of power-hungry, crooked DAs because they're politicians, basically. So Yeah, and I mean, it's hard. Like, I've been working this semester with a lot of women who are, like, convicted. Like, they're incarcerated. Yeah. yeah. And, like, having these relationships built with these women and, like, recognizing how some of them have been so screwed mm-hmm. by the justice system is like so infuriating and like knowing that like so many prosecutors just consider them like as like a check oh next like yep when their like lives their entire like life trajectories are gonna be like changed forever by this decision of or even like the length of sentencing that's like a whole nother episode but yep. like sentencing links is it's just really messed up so yeah exactly where it's like they want a conviction yeah. first and foremost that's all they want. So I wonder, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if this girl who was giving a tour loves true crime. Oh, yeah. And went into criminal law because she loves true crime. Definitely. So now let's talk a bit more about who is consuming true crime mm-hmm. media. And all evidence shows that it is overwhelmingly women. Which some people find surprising um, as to women who consume (laughs) or who have previously consumed a lot of true crime content. Um, It makes sense to us. But I guess let's start with the stereotypical true crime fan, which I would say are the women who... You know, we're at Ted Bundy's trial. White women. White women. Yeah. Always white women. Like, obsessed with Ted Bundy, in love, writing love letters to him in prison. Not just him, other serial killers too, but that's like the quintessential Ted Bundy female fan, toxic, disgusting, true crime, obsessive relationship that I think is what... It's like kind of the origins of like what traditional true crime because it's obviously a much smaller like or much not as extreme scale but that is like such a good like representation of like how it started kind of and the manson family of course true um we didn't even talk about like it's i feel like when we've been talking we've been more doing in the idea of like serial killers or like even like one person killing like one person yeah it's not as much as like cults and like um big groups that promote crime I, yeah it's interesting yeah mm-hmm. yeah and i know like helter skelter is like one of the most famous true crime books of all time yeah but yeah to me and i think we were talking about this like in my mind i just divide you know certain types of true crime like there's serial killers there's like family murders disappearances there's maybe disappearances there's... like and then like little literal like almost like domestic terrorism yeah terrorism because we were talking about the unabomber yeah unabomber oklahoma city bomber Uh waco and something that we haven't even touched upon which i don't think is for this episode but like school shootings oh yeah those are mass murders and it's yeah and i feel like when i see any content oh well actually i was gonna say i haven't when i see most content about school shootings i don't 
associate them with true crime, but more of like a like social justice perspective. But I was saying earlier, I did read a book in college called Columbine, which is like a literary nonfiction book about the events of Columbine. And I mean, it was a great book. It's like really obviously disturbing, but like showed the timeline leading up to the events and like what followed for the two um, shooters and like also did a little chronicle of the victims as well. But yeah, like looking into those types of crimes, I feel like that's what the modern, like what people currently think of true crime. That is not the assumption. Yeah. And so that just reminds me of something. So I read this, I think it's a book chapter, but Mm -hmm. I need to find out the specifics. It's called Dystopian Romance, True Crime and the Female Reader by Laura Browder. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm trying to find the specific quote, but she basically talks about how, you know, the kind of true crime that we have been talking about, serial killers, one-on-one murders, um, it's kind of like... In like a closed circuit in the sense of like you're purely observing it where it's like, like there's voyeurism? nothing that yeah it's like voyeurism yeah. where it's kind of like those killers there's something wrong with them like they're beyond help yeah you know what i mean whereas like school shootings there's something that can be done to stop those whereas there's this idea with serial killers and these other deranged people who kill their children, who kill their parents, etc. There's, like, nothing you could have done. There's nothing you could have done because these people are so severely... Unwell. Unwell, fucked up. Like, there's something severely wrong with them. In their brains, the way that they are wired. And again, there's something... Yeah, their brains are wired differently. That's what allows them to do it. That's what people say. And I think that... Yeah, the prime example is Ted Bundy. Like, I always remember learning about him specifically where it's like, he doesn't feel empathy. Like, he doesn't feel anything. And like how do you stop someone like that? Disorder. Yeah, antisocial personality disorder. Like, there's nothing that can be done. There's no social But then changes. it's like, and then it's like, there are things that can be done, but like, that's the belief is like, there isn't. Like, oh, oh, okay. Therapy, but also it's hard to tell. And diagnose someone with that because it's very easy to hide. (laughs) Yeah, so I found the quote. While true crime may be a form of documentary, it is a dystopian version. Whereas the traditional documentary is designed to raise people's consciousness about terrible conditions in order to affect change, true crime presents a picture of problems that are insoluble because they are rooted within the individual psyche and often have no apparent roots in social conditions. Which there's been more discussion you know, in the past couple of decades, as far as nurture versus nature versus nurture. But with someone like Ted Bundy, there's nothing that would have stopped him. You know, like, I don't think but there's any like, rough childhood and like stuff that like probably caused him to like be the way he is. I feel like a lot of like trauma, like not to say that that like anyone who's experiences trauma will obviously go out and like straight up start murdering people. But like, yeah. um, if he were to have had a, a upbringing that was not and not toxic then like that could have totally changed the trajectory for him yeah i guess it's in the sense of like there's nothing that could be done on a societal scale whereas like on a personal scale for sure like a lot of these serial killers had abusive fathers abusive families um you know a lot of alcoholism abuse etc 
But on a systemic level, there's nothing you can do about that. Like there's always going to be children who are abused, who are not always like there's things you can do. But you know what I mean? As opposed to like school shooting, where it's like you could ban automatic weapons, something that's like would make a not like tangible, but something that's like it can be done widespread that would have some like meaningful impact Mm -hmm. on what's happening. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, a lot of them did have like really turbulent childhoods yeah. and were like abused and that's just like a perfect storm with their dna their genes their mental illness that just makes them into monsters basically yeah um but then another really interesting part of true crime are the regular people because you know again it's two separate things where there's serial killers they're beyond help they're psychos mm-hmm. they don't feel anything but then there's like you know, the women who kill their children or there's normal people who do things and like have like, like who everyone's like, we had no idea. Like we, I mean, I guess that's how it is with like serial killers too, but, but it's more so in the sense of like, they snapped, Oh, like they were normal and then something happened and they snapped, you know, whereas it's like, as opposed to just hiding their true nature the whole time. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But going back to women and true crime. Mm-hmm. So there's, yeah, there's a stereotypical, like, women who are in love with serial killers. And there's still a lot of sensationalizing serial killers today. You know, I've seen things on the internet, like, shirts that are, like, every night with Ted Bundy is a one-night stand. Just oh shit like that God. that's disgusting. Ew. And, like, certain tours. Okay, yeah, so... We um, read an article and it talked about, um, so Jeffrey Dahmer was actively um, being a serial killer in Milwaukee and there are Jeffrey Dahmer tours, so like similar to like going on a ghost tour in like New Orleans or Savannah, where you will go to like places where he would like take men from like, like, like eat, meet up with men and invite them back to his home and like the regular places that he would go. And they literally, like, go through, they talk about his life, they talk about the events of his killings, and, like, they do talk about the victims as well. And, like, um, even the, the article, it said that, like, victims' families had been on the tour, and there were, like, positive and negative responses, actually, mm-hmm. which is surprising to me. I thought it would be all negative. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, they talked about how they sold T-shirts for it, like, kind of like you said, like, the Dead Bunny T-shirts. Mm-hmm. Um. And then the guy who owns the place, the bar that it's like it comes out of was uh, said this of the thousands of shirts that we have sold with that likeness on. Have we had anyone complain? We have not. Which is just fascinating to me. Yeah, that is Have you really not had any complaints about... Are they just talking about people who are on the tours? I I mean, I think anyone who would interact with that. Because I mean, yeah, it's like if someone's going on that tour with you, they're not going to be like... Oh well, that crosses the line. The T-shirt crosses the line. Well, you would I'll think go that, like, on this victims, tour. Families, or yeah, no, you would be like, "What the? Yeah, fuck? for sure." <laughs> like, you think that from an outside, this is not cool. And then, like, along with that, um, we're talking about Ted Bundy, but I read a little bit about like one of the victims of Ted Bundy who survived. So she was in like the the sorority house in Florida mm-hmm. when he um, brutally murdered two of her um, sorority sisters, and she survived. Um, and has now, like, 
grown old, like has a son, a family. Um, and when asked about like how she feels about all of the, the content being presented about him and coming out and she essentially was like, I would read everything. I would watch every documentary I saw about him. It helps me cope. And she was like, I know people cope differently, but for me, it almost helps me understand like, and like accept my circumstances with all of the information that I learned about that situation. Yeah. Also mentioned in this book chapter or this article Mm -hmm. is the fact that a lot of people who are the victims of violence of like very traumatic events, their memory is spotty yeah or they don't have like a coherent understanding of like what happened or Mm -hmm. how it happened yeah so consuming true crime and in that case it's like the actual crime that she about her life yeah yeah but even if you're just watching something about Mm -hmm. a crime that's similar to what happened to you yeah it kind of gives them you know a better understanding i guess yeah because i mean if you have like like, if you're black, if, like, you black out those situations, mm-hmm. it's hard to, like, even, like, comprehend, like, the weight of it, too. Yeah. You know, like, what what occurred, what happened to you. Because, like, I'm pretty sure she had, like, like major, like, facial damage mm-hmm. and, like, something wrong with her head from it. Because he was, like, I mean, she should have died. Mm-hmm. She survived. Yeah. So I can totally understand how that would be, like, a way to cope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then thinking about, like, the violence, like, the sexual violence, the physical violence, um, like, how women who are consuming this respond to that, it seems like there's a couple different things. Mm. Um, And, yeah, going back to, like, the stereotypical in love with serial killers, Mm -hmm. it's a kind of, like, pornography. Yeah. It's, like, very violent, sexual fantasies for them i guess yeah and they get to engage with that without ever being in real danger i guess you know if like ted bundy's behind bars like it's like invigorating kind of yeah it's 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 like thrill it's a thrill it's It's, yeah it's a way to like be like yeah be so thrilled but like be completely separated from the scenario in theory yeah um so there is a sexual nature to it for Mm -hmm. some women um and consuming this true crime is a more socially acceptable thing than watching maybe like you know just straight up violent pornography Mm -hmm. um and something about the morality of true crime versus fiction is touched upon again in this article But she says, this perceived factuality removes the responsibility for aestheticizing violence from both the writer and the reader of such works. Um, So it's not irresponsible. It's almost like they're raising... It's like they're educating themselves. They're educating themselves. They're like, that's like, you can write it off as, like, educating yourselves on, like, the patriarchal violence that occurs in our society and Mm -hmm. um, how they can like prepare themselves for the future. That's kind of what some arguments that I've seen is like, it's like helping yourself be aware of like, yeah. Okay. Like 
if a person were to murder me, this is how they could approach me. And this is what I should be mindful of. But like, that's an argument for why people do it. But like, most people think that's just like a like guys for like what you were talking about. Yeah, because I feel like at the end of the day, most people watching this stuff, it's for entertainment. Yeah, I agree. And just speaking personally, mm-hmm. yeah, it's for entertainment. But I could tell myself, you know, I'm more aware of things now. Mm-hmm. Like, I know. Which is true. Like, Yeah, like, like, I have more insight. Like, and never to victim blame, obviously. I'm sure any of us. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's someone who's a predator, who's, like, a very dangerous person, it's not like, oh, well, I'm smarter than that girl who was killed. I wouldn't get killed if I were her. But, you know, you can kind of feel like you're preparing yourself more because there's lots of... I mean, I guess it makes us feel like there's lots of violent men in the world, which, you know, there are violent men in the world, I think, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to get into <laughs> there this. There are lots of violent can, men, period. I feel like it can make you feel very paranoid about, like, any man in you general. encounter and men in and general. And give you anxiety and, like, for good reason. But, um... One case that I was thinking about recently that, I mean, I was, like, such a voyeur for, Gabby Petito. Mm-hmm. I, like, like, I I had, like, completely stopped, like, really watching or consuming true crime. But when that case started, I was, like, obsessed. Yeah. I was Same. reading everything, watching everything, watching the police videos, like, the entire police videos. And I feel like the whole United States was. But yeah. still, like... It's like it's in my nature too. Like yeah. I'm like I want to consume this stuff. I yeah. want to know everything about it. And like all these like it goes back to like the internet um, sleuths, like the investigators, like trying to find all these, um, and like hints and clues and yeah online. Yeah, media. that was such a moment. It was such a moment. Like, Just have to like, like reduce it to that, but for like a month, a cultural moment in time. Yeah. That was what August and September, August and September. And it's, but it's so funny. Like it is entertainment. Cause like the second it was over, I moved on. And now looking back at, I was reading an article and I'm like, Holy shit. I was consumed. Like I was literally like thinking about that all the time. Yeah. And then it's like people lost interest once it's, we know what happened, especially once he was found dead. Exactly. Yeah, once For he me was personally, dead, I was like, like, okay, that's done. Because the whole thing was like, oh, where is he? Where is he? He could be walking down the street. Keep your eye out. Yeah. So it was like that. So sad, but like, it's because like in that how we case, are. Yeah. In that case, it's like, well, you're not even going to get any sense of justice because exactly. he killed himself. Whereas, you know, solved crimes can still be like fascinating when you know there's a trial or when oh yeah you know there's like a i don't know people also watch it for the closure of like a really bad thing happened the hero cops and prosecutors like you know nailed down this guy and now he's in prison and there's retribution and it's closed circle and everyone doesn't feel good i mean like the victim's family obviously there's no, like, good scenario, but it's kind of like, okay, justice was served. But when, you know, he killed himself, it was like, okay, next. Yeah, sad. But like, Yeah, it's just yeah. sad. Without any, like, justice or closure, like, what happened is just plain sad. Mm-hmm. For sure. And who wants to consume that? Mm-hmm. No one. Not me. <laughs> no one. Um. And, uh... And then, yeah, it's, like, I was thinking about, like, like, 
a trial that was kind of the opposite of what you're saying, like the whole justice thing, the O.J. Simpson trial, which yeah. we kind of mentioned, but like how that was like that took over the world as well mm-hmm. in a way. And I don't know, obviously, I wasn't like if I was alive, no, I would we no. Okay, we were alive, like, if I was alive, I was a baby, but no, we weren't alive, so we're aging ourselves. Yeah. Um, but uh, it like divided the world, like the country, like completely down yeah. the line, like race. Yeah. race which is fascinating yeah and other you know i would say the biggest trials oj casey anthony oh my god which we were obviously alive for that we were in eighth i remember grade. that i, I remember distinctly... when the, we got the verdict yeah i remember being in eighth grade but for that you know we were kids so i don't fully know oj simpson obviously was very divided with Casey Anthony, wasn't even divided. Didn't everyone Anthony. agree that she killed her child? Yeah, and then she went off innocent. Yeah. And everyone was like, what? Yeah. Because I, I remember, like, even growing up, like, when it was much younger and the trial was first, like, her crime was first coming out, like, on the magazines at the grocery stores, like, pictures of Kaylee, her daughter, mm-hmm. being like, who killed Kaylee? Like, all these things. And mm-hmm. it's, like, so interesting which cases, like, become phenomena, like, worldwide phenomena. Like, it's... I mean, Madeline McCann. Yeah, I haven't watched that on HBO or Netflix. It was on the whole documentary. I didn't watch that, but yeah, she's a good example. And I mean, most of the time it's like white children or you know. John, we didn't even mention John Benet Ramsey. That's oh my like number God. one, probably. John Benet Ramsey. That story that's, is like we could do a whole episode. That's on John the Benet one Ramsey, case like, where I'm real. like, if I could know one case who killed her it would be john benet i would want to know yeah and like there's so many factors and it doesn't make sense but also i'm like i always thought it was like someone in the family by accident i thought it was someone in the family by accident and then they tried to cover up to not like incriminate the family member yeah that was my always that was my always thought but then like there's been so many like oh no it couldn't have been any of them it is interesting in cases like Madeline McCann yeah. and John Bonet, where it's almost like the public wants it to be a member of the family because that's almost more interesting psychologically, yeah, story wise. Where, you know, if it's just a random guy who broke in and did it, that's less intriguing to people. Oh, it is for sure. For sure. You know, and Madeline McCann still, people think that her parents were involved. And John Bonet. There's like a lot of proof that her parents were involved for Madeline McCann, right? Weren't. Weren't. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. But John Bonet, it's like John Bonet, like, it's very. And her mom died, didn't yeah. she? Yeah. So it's like, it's like, it's going to die. Yeah, with no. The I would say of all the cases I've ever heard, ever listened to, ever read, John Bonet is the one where it's like, it truly, no matter which scenario you think about, it, none of them make sense. It doesn't. None of them make sense. It gives me chills. Like, I like. I watched, I, she is, she's, like, that story is fascinating. And, yeah. I mean, it also works with the whole, like, thing we're talking about. A white, blonde child, mm-hmm. the, like, perfect child, pageant queen, like, all of those things we could go on. Mm-hmm. It's, like. Yeah. And. It's, it's captivating because children, like, white children don't die. Like. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. And it's. Yeah, just touching on race, like, most of these cases that go countrywide, nationwide, international, it is, you know, white children or, you know, white women 
conventionally pretty white women who, you know, whose faces you would want to see everywhere. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's another point, like with the Gabby Petito that brought up a lot of um, information and like controversy about the fact that like, okay, let's look at like the amount of like children and teens and young adults who have gone missing in the past couple months who were like black or native American or Asian American, like that have not been even like looked at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so I guess just like retracing, there's certainly a sexual element to it for some women. Mm -hmm. Um, Others. Yeah. It's just the idea of preparing yourself almost and like being able to put yourself you know, in the mind of both the victim and the killer, mm-hmm. I think is something that for sure people do. And there's the idea of would I be capable of doing that? You know, it's yeah. like the, I don't know, kind of like trying to put yourself in the killer's place. Or like just thinking with the mindset of like, how could anyone do that? Yeah, because to make, us it makes no sense. It's like, it's, what would what would encourage or like motivate anyone to commit commit those crimes especially when they like their like life just seems like like you know like normal yeah they're just living a normal life yeah um yeah so now just looking to the future of true crime as an industry mm-hmm. is it gonna because st- i feel like it's still booming like there's huge conventions like true crime con and stuff there's like celebrity detectives like paul holes mm-hmm. like we mentioned yeah um and i mean they're always going to keep coming out with more documentaries it's like you would think there's nothing else that they could say about John Bonet or about Ted Bundy or about John Wayne Gacy. Amanda Knox, we haven't mentioned her. Oh yeah, yeah that's I a do. Good one. That is a good one. Yeah, but yeah, it's like people, and I'm one of those people. I'm, I guess I can't say now. Like I always would watch, but certain cases, like John Bonet, that's not going to scare me. So like I would watch anything that comes out about John. Yeah, Bonet. John Bonet's is really sweet. We, we just started yeah. talking about John Bonet. Yeah, because <laughs> it's so fascinating. Yeah. You should, you should look into it. Yeah, if you guys haven't heard, okay, of John Bonet. A really good true crime case. Yeah. Um, I love that culture that we're talking about right now. Yeah, but there are certain cases. Scott Peterson, too. Oh, Lacey. Oh, wow. That's a one where there's still, there's new developments happening mm-hmm. to where I'll check in with that. Like, I'll watch a new development. The um, Chad and Lori Daybell. I don't know. The Doomsday. They killed her children. No. Okay. That's, also, I, that's I a whole it, other thing. I thought about Chris Watts too, which I did watch some stuff about Chris Watts. Yeah. You know who that is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I watched that one too. Yeah. That one I actually did watch. Yeah. But I, yeah. So I guess I haven't completely cut off. True yeah. Neither crime. of us have. Um, as much as I would like to. It's not as much of a staple in my life, but when certain like, like names pop up, I'm like, ooh, yeah, I need to check this out. Or even like when it gets to the point where they're come, it's coming up in random conversation with people. It's like, okay, I need to check it yeah. out. Yeah, I guess what I've stopped listening to I'm and what I used crime. to listen to is you know podcasts like My Favorite Murder, Crime Junkie, where 
I'm sitting here and I'm like, why am I listening to this random case where I, it feels exploitative. It feels like, you know, especially my favorite murder. They don't even do their own research. They mm -hmm. have someone who's writing their script at this point. I think mm -hmm. in the early years they were doing all their own stuff. Now it's like, okay, what's next? Like, you know, they just have someone digging up like random murders just for the sake of continuing the podcast, just for the sake of like, you know, it's like a yeah. business. It feels like... Which it is. It is a business, but it doesn't feel like... I feel like... Right. No, I understand. And I also think it's like with these like household name cases that we see on like... That, are, that have are produced and like go through all this effort to make these like thorough documentaries, mm -hmm. it feels different than the podcast. Yeah. And because they are like getting all these like interviews that maybe have not been done before the podcast are just like literally reading, like you said, reading from a straight up script about that specific individual case. Yeah. Whereas like with these documentaries, they have so many more variables normally attached to them that are like honestly just making it better. Yeah. And you can make the case that it's like, Oh, well these lesser known stories, like these people's names deserve to be known. Yeah. But let's be real. I'm not going to remember their name. I'm going to yeah. remember what happened to them, how mm -hmm. they died, what happened to the killer, and then I'm going to go to the next one. You know, it's like, it's like we can mass say consumption. that. We're yeah. like consumers. And if, yeah. And if that's what makes the families feel better about their loved one's death being used in this way by a podcast or whatever, then I'm glad. Like if that's, you know, mm. if they feel that that's helpful for them, feeling like their loved one's name is going to be known by more people. But as a consumer, it just felt like, yeah, I'm just like icky. mass consuming these murders where, yeah, it's just like on to the next. On Whereas the next, like on a standalone, next. like to me, it's like a standalone documentary based entirely on a single case that was like known to the entire world. Yeah. It seems a little different to me, but like it still has like the same elements. Okay. That just reminded me what, what, of what? like one of my favorite trio of movies but i think it's now on hbo is they call them episodes paradise lost yes i paradise knew it was lost. gonna be paradise lost the west yeah. memphis three that is a case that i would watch anything that came out about yeah. it. i read damien eccles book um you know like whatever comes out about it because mm, it's still unsolved so just briefly yeah if you haven't watched paradise lost they were three separate movies but now again they're like episodes on hbo but they follow the west memphis three which it's in West Memphis, Arkansas, three young boys were found dead in a creek, like hogtied, murdered, like and brutal. they brutally murdered. And they arrested these three teenagers mm -hmm. in West Memphis with no evidence, no like eyewitness accounts, purely because these kids lived in trailers. They liked Metallica they were, like, goth, white trash. Basically, like, the world wanted to call them, like, Satanists. Yeah, it was Satanic Panic. Yeah, it was, like, it was during the... that time. Or did that spark Satanic Panic? No, Satanic Panic started in the 80s. Okay, so it was, like, obviously it was just the... a side effect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, to where, yeah, it's like these men spent 18 years in prison because they were you know satanists even though there's never been any real evidence that and like satanism yeah 
yeah, that like there's any real like cult activity or violence associated with this so-called satanic panic. It was purely projection. Yeah, and also just the fact that like how the justice system and like cops just like completely like took advantage of them and like a lot like I know at least one of them had a not a very high intelligence to where like he was like manipulated into like kind of confessing they interrogated him for 12 hours straight he had an intellectual disability yeah um and so that's how they got the other two they interrogated this kid for 12 hours Mm -hmm. to where you know, at some point, no matter who you are, no matter what your IQ is, you're going to be like, I just want to go home. I can't do this anymore. Just I'll say anything you want me to say. Yeah. And we've seen cops do this time and time and time again. Um, he was a child who was taken advantage of. And like, it's like with that type of story, it becomes about like, it's not really a, as much. Of, I mean, obviously, the murder is what allowed it to occur, but it's like a they're the vic- these kids are victims too. Yeah, they're victims of a, ju- a corrupt justice system that wants a scapegoat, basically. Yeah, and, that's... and this is like the Central Park Five too, which yeah. we don't have to go as much into that one. But like Central Park Five, there's a video on there's a doc- uh, series on Netflix about it. It's a very like it's a similar situation, but like in Chicago, several black boys were black and Was Latino it New York boys or uh, Chicago, Chicago. I thought. Oh, I think New York. Trump. Yeah, I think it was, it was New York. I just remember Central, Trump was it's, like it's Central Park. Yeah, yeah, duh. Yeah, in New York. <laughs> but it's it's really interesting. Yeah, and like so messed up. And like now they're all out, like all of the boys. But I feel like most of them had to act, actually serve their sentences. And that's the tragedy. Yeah, with Central Park Five and with West Memphis Three, where yeah, there's three little boys who were murdered, and no one who actually did that crime has served any time for it. And now there's a lot of evidence pointing to the fact that it was one of the boy's stepfathers. And I believe it. Sorry not to spoil anything, but it's the it's, boys who was murdered. Yes. Boy? One okay. of the boys who was murdered stepfathers who's in the documentary, the original one, paradise Lost, which makes sense which too. I just want to say, if you do watch paradise Lost, I wasn't prepared for this, but some of the first minutes is actual footage of the little boys bodies like it is extremely graphic it is extremely disturbing and i was not prepared for it when i saw it so if i've influenced anyone to actually go watch it which i do think you should just be prepared for that because it is a lot um and yeah basically like damien eccles was the ringleader the satanist yeah um And yeah, he completely blew off the trial, basically, because it's like, I can't be convicted for something I didn't do, Mm -hmm. and that there's no evidence that I did. And yet. So I think that's a really good thing that has come out of true crime media and content is this recognition of, you know, wrongful convictions, wrongful convictions, for sure. um, And attention to unsolved cases. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, and it really does change people's lives. Like yeah. I've I mentioned Billy Jensen's book before, but he's like solved like 10 cases I think that were unsolved murders and disappearances mm-hmm. and whatever where yeah, and you're like working with the victim's family. That feels like a good thing. Mm-hmm. That feels like a good use of time as opposed to just reading a script about someone 
in some random place who was murdered, which again, that sounds bad. It sounds like I'm like reducing that person's murder. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I feel bad saying that, belittling that like, oh, well, some murders are more important than others, but it feels like these podcasts and some of these shows are just exploiting and using trauma porn for views, for listens to further themselves and to further their business. Whereas I think there are some creators who are very consciously and deliberately putting in real work mm-hmm. that police departments overlooked or haven't done or whatever. In conclusion, where, I mean, I guess we've talked about where we stand. Yeah. Like I'm not going to be consuming true crime constantly. Like there's the occasional thing that I'll tune into, but overall it was really bad for my mental health. And I, you know, could use the excuse that like, oh, I'm more aware, I'm more whatever, but it was doing like real damage to me. Yeah, I just, I wouldn't even say it like even was like horrible for my mental health. I would like at the time I was like listening to it before I like went to bed. Yeah. So bad. Like I would like put it on sleep timer. Yeah. But like when I was not when I got to be where I wasn't my mental health wasn't at its best that was when I was like I can't do this to myself yeah (laughs) yeah I'm like I don't want to be desensitized to this violence that's not horrific we shouldn't be like acting like oh what's new episode today who's gonna be the new victim yeah like oh what happened to them oh that's not as interesting as I hoped it would be like that's fucking sick it is. And I'm not proud that I ever had that line of thinking, but, you know, I'm more conscious of it now. And I feel like... That's good. There is some fist good pump. true crime fist pump. We are <laughs> heroes. Yeah. Well, and yeah. Yes, I I can't say I'm never going to consume it, but I'm more mindful of it. Yeah. And I don't know what the future of the industry is. It feels like it's got to... I feel like it's gonna, I feel like it's, I agree, I think it's, I don't know, in our society, especially, like, the younger, like, much younger generation, like, younger generation, the, the age below us, I feel like, are so, like, hyper, like, woke, Mm -hmm. to where they're gonna be, like, down with this industry, like, you know what I mean? That'd be kind of cool if they were, like, this is fucked up. But, who knows, we all, like, have been voyeur, have participated in voyeurism, (laughs) in our lives so yeah but yeah we hope you guys have a great evening and we will see you again next week sisters bye sisters bye